We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle inside, outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of the meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle, and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by, by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. You can be seated. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word that was just read. We pray that you'll add your blessing to it as it's preached uh, through your servant this morning. Uh, We thank you that you are a God who is making all things new, that you are the God of the resurrection. You are the God who is holy and how great is our God and yet you came near. Come near to us, Lord. Uh, Minister to us by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Uh, my name's Crawford Stevener. I'm the RUF campus minister at Stanford University down uh, on the peninsula. So I know there's not a lot of uh, Stanford people over here. I'm on the wrong side of the bay, but please don't throw things at me while I'm up here. Uh, if you're interested in hearing about our ministry at Stanford, if you're an alum or a fan or you just have pity on the uh, cardinal, um, feel free to send me an email. I'd love to tell you uh, what God is doing and how you could pray for our ministry at Stanford. Uh, Amelia has my contact information if you have any interest in reaching out. Um, but this is, uh, this is not why I'm here this morning. I'm here to uh, give you um, God's word and his comfort uh, from his word. And you might think that was a quite a strange passage to be starting off the new year, ending uh, our scripture, but uh, ending our um, Christmas season. But uh, I, hope to, I hope you'll see from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus, uh, how our great God comes near to us in our moments of greatest need and greatest distress. So uh, it's January 1st, it's a new year, so that means that Christmas music uh, is, is stopped, hopefully for most of you. Uh, in Christmas movies, you finished all of your Christmas movies for the year. And I've heard uh, that this particular Christmas movie has already been quoted from the pulpit at Resurrection Oakland during Advent season, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, the scene of the building of the tabernacle is, what, is that long passage that you just heard from Amelia. This is Moses following all these commandments and instructions from the Lord uh, to build this tent, this portable tent, all these details, all these arrangements. Uh, this is, these instructions are what we just read, and it always reminds me of my favorite childhood Christmas movie, which was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, starring 1980s king of comedy Chevy Chase. And if you haven't seen this movie, a lot of you haven't, and that's okay. Uh, if you haven't seen this movie, the main character, Clark Griswold, is a family man in suburban Chicago, and he, invite, he invites his whole extended family over to his home for Christmas holiday. But he spends most of the holiday up on top of the roof, staple gunning 25,000 Christmas lights on the top of the roof in his home in suburban Chicago. And when it's finally done, he calls out his mother-in-law, his father-in-law, his parents, his children. It's freezing. They're all in their pajamas out in their outside in the snowy Chicago Christmas. And he takes the extension cord and the Christmas lights plug. He makes them do this tacky drum roll thing. And he sings a, a verse of joy to the world. And he plugs the plug to end. And nothing happens. No Christmas lights. And it turns out there's a, there's a breaker switch in the garage that has later flipped, and we get to see the full glory of the uh, Griswold family Christmas home in suburban Chicago. Now, why do I tell you all this? It's not a very environmentally friendly story, but uh, why do I tell you this? Well, we just read the last chapter of the book of Exodus, and this last chapter concludes 15 chapters of discussion and writings on the intricate details of the construction of God's dwelling place, of where he will live, of God's, it's called tabernacle, a tent, which is where he was going to be with his people as they wandered through the wilderness. Now, if you don't know anything about the book of Exodus, uh, it's, it's this literary masterpiece in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And it tells a story of God's powerful rescue and deliverance of his people in bondage in Egypt. 
And the book begins by God hearing the groans of his people. And he, he raises up this deliverer in Moses. And there's miracle upon miracle where, where God parts the Red Sea and his people walk through. And then they're hungry in the desert and he feeds them from manna in heaven. And he booms out his holy laws from Mount Sinai. And all of these incredible miracles happen. But you get to the very end of the book and something is still missing. Something is still off. In God's great story of rescue and redemption, the climax had yet to come. The lights weren't on. The breaker needed to be flipped. Something was missing. What was it? The something that was missing was a someone. And if you look at your passage printed in your bulletin, in verse 34 and 35, the text describes the glory of the one true God coming down in a cloud filling the tabernacle. Now this is a highly significant event because it tells us that the real point of Exodus chapter 40, which I know we're just jumping into this morning, the real point of Exodus chapter 40 is that after all of the amazing firework displays of God, we still do not have the main thing. And what is the main thing? This is something important for us as we start our new year. The main thing is God himself living among his people as they wander in the wilderness. That is what is described as the climax of the book of Exodus. God with his people is the point of the story. And God with his people is the point of our story too. So in order for us to make sense of this in 2023 now in Oakland, I want us to look at three things this morning. First, God's majesty. And these, we see this in the details of the tabernacle. Second, God with us. And we see this in the purpose of the tabernacle. And third, God's coming. We see this of the fulfillment of the tabernacle in King Jesus. So first, why all the details of the tabernacle? It shows a holy, majestic God coming down. As I said before, most of the second half of the book of Exodus, if you were to read through it, are not comprised of stories, but they are detailed instructions about how to build a tent. It's like you're getting out your Ikea furniture and you're looking at it and you're like, okay, how are we going to put this thing together? Here in the final chapter, uh, verses 16 through 33, Moses describes actually putting together the tabernacle. And the refrain, as Amelia read it, I hope you heard it, was, as the Lord commanded Moses. If you were a student in class and your teacher asked you to do a literary analysis of this passage, you might get out your pen and start circling and underlining things. You would circle this repetitive phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses. It happened seven times in the paragraph we just read. What do you think the author is trying to tell us if he keeps repeating this phrase over and over and over again? The particular details matter a great deal. They matter a great deal to God. Why? Because God is the one that's going to live there. 
I don't know if you've been looking for a new apartment recently or a new place to stay, and you click online, and you know, you've got the, the online rate and then the real rate that you see later, but, but you, get, you look at the blueprint of the floor plan, and you're trying to figure out, is this going to be a good space for me to live in? Uh, I know that my wife and I recently were, were looking at a new place maybe to try to rent, and we're looking and saying, where's the bathroom, and where do you walk in? And you look at the blueprint, and you try to figure out, is this a good place for us to live? Is this worth us? Is it worth the money? Is it worth us to move into this place? Imagine, that's just a pastor in California looking and trying to figure out where's the bathroom here on this blueprint. Imagine the president. What if they were remodeling the White House? Can you imagine how intricate the details of the White House would be? Okay, now imagine the king, a great and powerful king. Well, now imagine the king of kings. What would it look like to to construct and to devise and to plan out the place where the king of kings the holy God, the God who created all things by the word of his power, what would it look like to create a blueprint for where that being would live, would make his home? Now, these instructions, as you read through the Bible, sometimes start to feel a little mundane, a little boring, a little tedious. It's January 1. Some of you might start trying to read through the Bible this year. It's a common uh, resolution this time of year. You open up at the beginning of the Bible. You start at Genesis and you read through. And you get to Exodus and you see these cool stories. And now we're building this project for 15 chapters. Why are they here? What's happening here? Well, it's showing the transcendent, glorious, set-apartness of the God of the Bible. All of the intricate details, the curtains, the sacrifices, the great symbolic imagery with lampstands and veils and basins and the, the Ten Commandments put inside the Ark of the Covenant which are put behind a screen. And, and even if you have no idea what this stuff means, it's clear this is no ordinary tent. This is no ordinary dwelling place. The occupant of this tabernacle was someone worthy of great worship, and dignity and honor. The point of, this, of these details is crystal clear. The transcendent and holy God is coming down. He's coming down to his people. He's drawing near. He's coming into the camp. Up until this point in the story, God has been dwelling on top of a mountain on top of Mount Sinai, enveloping it in this cloud, thundering out his laws and statutes. But now, it's time for God to come near. He's coming low. He's coming to us. And this is beautiful, because the God of the Bible is awesome and holy and above all things and majestic. He is a great God, like we sang about. But he is not just this powerful deity. That sort of God, that sort of powerful deity, is actually found in lots of different religions. The booming God of a volcano, or a powerful God of the sea, or a sun God that is far above all gods that gives light to other places. That kind of God is found everywhere. But the God of Christianity, the God of the Bible, is the God who is both great in power and glory, but he is also the God who draws near. He is the friend of the brokenhearted. He is the friend of sinners. He comes, he comes near. So he has Moses prepare a place for him to live, for God to come down off the mountain 
and move around the camp while his people journeyed in the wilderness. And this is why we get all these instructions. This is why we get all these details for where God wants to live. And where does he want to live? You've heard it a million times by now. In the story of Exodus, God wants to live in a tent. Now why would the God of the universe want to live in a tent? This gets us to our second point. The purpose. The purpose of the tabernacle. If the transcendent, glorious God of the universe is going to get a house, why doesn't he get a house like the Taj Mahal or Buckingham Palace or the nicest home you could find in the Bay Area? God's first home in the Bible is not a palace. It's a portable tent. Is this what you would choose if you had all the money and all the power and all the glory in the world? If you were king of the world, would you live in a palace or would you live in a tent? A lot of us have big dreams of the kinds of homes we'd like to live in. And usually they're just kind of one step up above where we are now. My, my kids actually uh, talk about their dream homes. I have four daughters, 10, 8, 5, and 3. And the little ones... I overheard uh, over the holiday talking about when they grow up, what their dream homes are going to look like. Most of them were purple with sparkles and glitter on them. There was a pink one, and, and they all live nearby so they can come out and play together. And as I was thinking about this, your dream home actually reveals what you care about. It's like, well, this is what they care about. They want some sparkles and some glitter, and they want to be by their sisters. It makes sense. Now, some of us just want, like, a roof that doesn't leak right now. Your dream home reveals what you care about. God is revealing something here about, about who he is. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's majestic. Yes, he's king. But he is the God who comes near. He is the God who enters in to the mess and the brokenness and the danger of our world. He condescends. He comes close. He comes near to be with his people. And here we see God choosing a tent over a palace because tents are portable. God, as the leader and deliverer of his people, is not stationed somewhere far away, but he is moving with his people through their wilderness journey. And that is the God of the Bible. God moves with you as you wander. And the text says in verse 36 and 37, when, when the cloud lifts up from the tent, the people go and they follow the cloud. And when the cloud stays down, the people stay. Now, it's interesting, if we were to read through this whole book, several chapters before in chapter 33, there's this point of the story in Exodus that we didn't read this morning, but it's, it's right after God's people turned their backs on God. The story tells us they actually worshipped this golden calf, the statue, this idol, instead of the one true God. And, and they start worshiping this calf instead of, the, instead of the living God. And right after this epic fail of God's people, uh, God says, okay, you can keep going to this promised land that I've given you, but I'm out. I'm not going with you anymore. And the people are horrified because they start to realize. They're starting to, to understand the, the point of this, that... Uh, this whole promised land, this destination we're going to, all this nice stuff, these, these temporal blessings, this land that's, that's supposed to be flowing with milk and honey, apart from the presence of God, 
these things are not going to be enough. So God and Moses have a meeting, and repentance happens, and God shows grace to his people, and he promises to stay with them and to be with them, and he renews his relationship with his people. Now, I give you this um, background because this is something I want you to consider this morning. Simply arriving at your destination is not the secret of the universe. All kinds of things in the world will tell you that if you have the right job, you have the right stuff, you have the right relationship, if you live in the right neighborhood, or you have kids that are doing what you want them to do, or if you, if you hit all the right check marks, if you hit all the waypoints, if you, if you do all this stuff, then you're going to be good. It's all going to work out for you. But here's the thing. As the Israelites faced wandering in the wilderness, some of the, the frightening aspects of that, some of the boring aspects of that, some of the frustrating aspects of being stuck in the wilderness, as they wandered, God is saying, the promised land is actually not the answer. The destination, the accomplishments, getting everything you dreamed is actually not the real answer to your soul ache, to your grumbling, to your problems. According to the book of Exodus, God with us is the answer. The answer to our deepest problems is the presence of God in your life. Do you see this in the story? The point of life is not to get to the finish line, but the point of life is to be with God, the God who made you and who loves you. Now, some of you are here this morning and you feel like you are wandering in the wilderness. And rather than sort of just close your eyes and hold your breath or run yourself ragged, ragged by trying to, to outmaneuver all of the challenges you're facing. What if you remember this morning, this new year, that God is actually with you as you face the problems of your life? Now, there, there are these letters that survive from this British sailor uh, a couple hundred years ago that I find interesting. It, he was riding home uh, on this journey where they were stuck long out at sea, and uh, there's these kind of letters he wrote back to his, his wife, and the sailor's letter is still there, and he writes this. He says, we're half starved and otherwise inconvenienced by being so long out at sea, but our reward is that we are with Admiral Nelson. There was this great, there was this great admiral in the, in the British Navy that everybody wanted to be on his ship because he was such a great leader and he was, he was such a great, um, had a great military mind. And, and this sailor is riding home like, everything's going bad. We're hungry, we're starving, we're lost, we don't know where we're going, but we're with Nelson. And uh, this is what it's like to follow God. Things don't always go how we wish they would go. Sometimes it feels like things are going exactly the opposite of how we wish, but we're with Jesus. Maybe, maybe uh, better stated, Jesus is with us. Jesus is with you. He's with us while we wander. And this is hugely significant for us because, again, the happy ending in this Old Testament book of Exodus is not that God says... You're done with the wilderness. All the hard stuff is over. You've made it to your destination. All is well. 
No, the end of Exodus 40, God has not gotten them to their destination yet. The end of the book is God revealing himself and saying, in the misery and in the monotony of your life, I am with you. I am here. I am with you while you wander. The God of the Bible loves his people so much that he is with us through our ups and our downs. And that is the whole point of the story this morning. All that God has done for his people was for what end? Was for what purpose? All of the miraculous deliverances, all of the mighty acts of salvation, what was the point? To love a people, to draw near to them, to live with them. Do you know this about the God of the Bible? That God wants more than just to deliver you. He wants to live with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be with you every step of the journey. So the book of Exodus, in this way, one of the reasons we're talking about it this morning, it's like an appetizer at a restaurant before the main course. It's like the appetizer that that comes, the, the main course is the gospel that comes in Jesus Christ. The whole point of the, of the tabernacle stuff at the, at the book of Exodus is pointing forward to the main event, to the person of Jesus. And that's our third point this morning. The tabernacle is actually fulfilled by Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. A holy God coming down from the heights to live among his people. Does this sound familiar to you? I mean, we talked about Christmas movies at the beginning. This is the real story of Christmas. God coming down in Jesus. In the Gospel of John, uh, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He, he introduces Jesus to his readers in the Gospel of John using the language of a tabernacle. Do you know that? Of all the ways that, that John, who, who knew Jesus and followed him around, and he, he sits down to write this letter inspired by God to to, to tell all that Jesus came to do in the Gospel of John, of all the ways he could have introduced us, this is, how, this is what he says. John chapter 1, verse 14. This is in the New Testament. And the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word, Jesus, became flesh and lived among us, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Now, the Greek word here for dwelt or lived is actually this word skenao, which is the Greek word for tabernacle. So what John is saying here is that God is tabernacling among us in the coming of Jesus. That God is coming to live with us in the coming of Jesus. First, God tabernacled near us in a tent, veils and lampstands and sacrifices and screens, but then God is tabernacling near us in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is seen as the fulfillment of all of the stories of Israel. That all of the rules and all of the regulations of approaching a holy God, the ark, the curtain, the screens. Remember, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the temple, which is the more permanent tabernacle, the temple curtain was ripped in half during Jesus' crucifixion as he cries, it is finished, because all of this stuff is pointing to Jesus. So where is God now? Where does he live now? Where is his presence? Where is his tabernacle? 
Well, Jesus rose from the dead. He's not here anymore. Jesus went back to heaven. But he's poured out his Holy Spirit upon his church. And God tabernacles inside of us. Anyone who believes in Christ, God dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. And we are called temples of the living God because we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, I want you to see this morning from this kind of strange and shadowy chapter in the book of Exodus that the point of the universe is for God to be with his people. The whole story of the Bible ends this way. The same John who introduces us to Jesus by saying he's tabernacling among us, he ends the Bible. In Revelation chapter 21, he writes the same thing. He says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with humans. He will dwell with us. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Do you see it? What is so special about the final destination for humanity, about reaching our promised land, is not the stuff that's there, but it's that God is there. God is with us. God lives with his people. So what do we do with this quick study of the tabernacle this morning? These, these details, these instructions about God living with his people in the wilderness, all the way from the book of Exodus to the Gospel of John to Revelation. What do we do? I want you to think about the story of Exodus is our story. It's the story of the church. As we wander, and as we journey, as we struggle, as we face pain, brokenness, even boredom, we need to know that God lives with us, that he's here that he's with us by faith. And now, I began this sermon talking about Clark Griswold setting up 25,000 Christmas lights on his roof, all in futility because the breaker wasn't switched on. Now, I want to ask you, are you the type of person here this morning who has gone over and over and over all the extensive blueprints of your life? Does it all look good on paper, your career trajectory, what you're trying to accomplish, your relationships, and everything's sort, of, everything's sort of laid out perfectly for you, but life just feels off. Like something feels missing. Something doesn't feel right as you come to the end of the holiday season this year. Everything seems like it should be great, but, but a vital piece is missing. Is that you this morning? Is it like somebody tossed you the keys to a brand new electric car, but there's no battery in it? What are we supposed to do with this thing? Do you get the feeling that you're missing something? Exodus 40 shows us that, that without God and his glory in our midst, we've missed the point of the journey. Don't miss the point today. The, the one true God that we've been singing about, that we're gathered here, whether, whether you believe now or, or you've yet to believe, that the one true God that, that made all things is, is coming down in Jesus to live with us. That's what we've been celebrating at Christmas. And this is the good news for those of you who feel like you are wandering in the wilderness right now. That God has come near to you in Jesus. 
And he has not come just to, to fix all your problems, but he's come to live with you and to love you. So as we walk our wandering journey, facing disappointments or surprises, failures and victories, we need to remember God is with us. The point of life is not simply to finish, but the point of life is to be with God. And he has come in Jesus. So I invite you to follow him today, to trust him with your steps, because anything else will leave you empty, even if you make it to your final destination. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are not a God who stays far off. You are not a God who created the world, who wound it up like a clock and stepped away and moved on to something more important. But you are intimately involved in the lives of your people. And we thank you that you have not left us alone to struggle. We all struggle. We all wander. We all feel the pain and the brokenness of this world. And thank you that you have given us an answer in Jesus who has come near, not to just set us free, but to live with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.